Good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Ah, you thought you were going to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Go to Galatians chapter 6 this morning. This morning we're going to sort of catch a connecting flight. Uh, we've been in Ephesians. Uh, Pastor Justin last week spoke to us about parents correcting their children. Um, he, he said that um, it is a great responsibility of the parents to correct their children. Don't, we shouldn't frustrate our children. And that we should actually form our children. We should be uh, adamant about forming our children. And so this week, we're going to sort of take a connecting flight, a puddle jumper over to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses... 1 through 10, where we deal with correcting each other in sin. And so, um, and then obviously, that will land us back where Pastor Justin can finish us out in Ephesians chapter 6. So, I just wanted to take a little side flight this week and see what Paul is saying about this idea of the correction of sin. Not just correcting our children now, but now we're going we're gonna to look at the correction of each other. So how many of you, this is an interactive uh, time together, so you can raise your hand, you can shake your head. How many of you would agree with the following statements? Raise your hand if you agree with the following statement. I want to be useful in strengthening others. Would you agree with that? Okay, a couple of you don't want to help anybody, but that's cool. I want to be supportive and encouraging to my brothers and sisters. Okay, I think we would all either get a head nod or hand raise out of that. I want the absolute best for them, and I will go the extra mile for them. All right, that was the easy part. You know, because I'm getting ready to set you up for a body slam now. How many of you would love to agree with this statement. I want to be useful in confronting sin in the lives of other people. Not a bunch of hands get raised there, right? So before I kind of continue, how many of you would agree with this final statement? Before I can get the toothpick out of my brother's eye, I need to remove the two-by-four from my own so that I can be used by God. Amen. Right, we got some people that would agree with that. So I want to remind you today that if we're truly going to win this spiritual battle, if we're truly going to win the fight in this spiritual warfare, we're going to have to not only win the battle by loving and encouraging and supporting and being there and equipping, but you can't do any of that without properly confronting sin in the life of other believers. You can't. You'll never be a true encouragement if we, if we tap on the head and never swat on the bottom, right? So it isn't helpful for us to also take this in the wrong direction and parade around in some type of perceived perfection. Okay, church, uh, the old saying, church isn't a museum for the perfect, it's a hospital for the broken. So it's not helping us any by parading around and pretending that we have no sin. So if you've been around church any amount of time, you've sort of experienced that WWE smackdown when it comes to uh, 
the approach of confronting sin. I want to also acknowledge that today's topic makes people uncomfortable because the, the, the confronting of sin in the body of Christ has been handled very poorly over the last 2,000 years, particularly in the last 200 years of the American church. And so there's some church hurt, there's some pain, there's some traumas, because this, this type of approach has been handled poorly. And so it doesn't change the fact that it is absolutely necessary and godly. And so today we want to approach the godly and biblical approach to this subject as we take this side flight in our Ephesians series. So Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll look, verses 1 through 10, I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to go in and take a look uh, verse by verse and see what we can pull out of it. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would give clarity to what you are trying to present and show to your children today. Lord, I pray that hearts would actually be mended. Some of, the, some of the trauma and some of the hurt that has happened to maybe some folks in this room even, that they would see what You truly intended for correction. And Lord, we would be a church that would reflect that. In Jesus' name, Amen. So here is a pattern I'm going to share with you as you can see from your bulletin insert. I'm going to share with you four sort of things that we can remember. This also, this connecting flight is a round trip flight, by the way. So parents, we can utilize these same strategies when it comes to correcting our parents. I mean, our children. Sometimes we do have to correct our parents. But we can use this strategy and we can use what we see here in Scripture. So this isn't some unique Dan McGannism. This is actually straight out of the text. And so we're going to talk about up, not down. Okay, We, we want to be sure that, that when we are correcting someone, we, our goal is to lift them up and not to beat them down. We're going to, we're going to see where we're going to hold and not scold. So we're going to, we're going to see that protrude out of the text today. 
And then we want to be able to see that we want to build and not bury. We'll, we'll explain that more. And then lastly, we're going to keep it up. We're going to keep doing what we're doing as we see at the end there. So look at, look at verse 1. Here's our first principle. Up, not down. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, just the very way you read that speaks about the avenue in which you are approaching this correction. When you find another believer in sin, we often, we like to say, well, if anyone is caught in sin, what this what we often do is we, we, we read this and we say, ha, I caught you. You're doing wrong. But that's actually not what the word here in the Greek means. The word here in the Greek, it means to be snagged in a net. Like, like fishermen that would cast out a net and, and catch fish. The word there means to be entangled. So when we see someone who is entangled in sin... It's not that we caught you. <laughs> we caught you. Bad, bad, bad. It's we can see patterns in someone life, someone's life that actually almost looks as if a fish caught in a net. The snare of the enemy. And they're, they're gasping for breath. And they are, they are making movements they would not normally make because they are caught in a sin. So, so, one, we want to approach this understanding that sin is something that ensnares someone. It, 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 it holds them in place in a dangerous way. So, we who are spiritual need to restore that person. So, who, who is that? Who is the spiritual? Now, we can often approach this same verse and we can say, I'm, I'm way better than that person. I'm over that. I've matured. I'm the spiritual. Actually, that is evidence that you are not this person that is being referenced here in Scripture. Okay? That you're actually referenced in the next verse where it talks about someone who thinks there's something that they're not. Okay? The spiritual, if you back up in Galatians a little bit more, flip your page back to chapter 5, we see the description of the person that Paul is now talking about. Verse 16 through 20 verses 16 through 26 in Galatians chapter 5 but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident and he names off Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, any, any, any sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. And now he describes. Now he's describing this person that he has just said in verse, I mean in chapter 6, verse 1, the, the you who are spiritual. So you who are spiritual, this is who you are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Such thing, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The spiritual person is someone who helps them see their sin by designing correction of sin in lifting them up and not beating them down. This is not the MMA where when someone is down, you ground and pound. This is not what biblical correction looks like. We call them to repent, which means to change direction, and we call them to confess and be honest about their sin. That's it. That's, what we're, that's our role. Is We help them to understand and see their sin for what it is. Rather than having them see themselves as someone who's sneaking around in the dark of the night and we caught you, we want them to see that sin is entangling and it is destructive and it stops you dead in your tracks. That's why that Greek word there means to be entangled in a net. We help them to understand their sin. We call them to repent. We assure them of God's forgiveness. We remind them that God is standing ready not with a knife to gut you and put you on the fire fish caught in the net. He is there with that knife to cut you out of the entanglement and to get you moving again. So that's what we do. That's what our job is. We Lift them up. We don't beat them down. That's the first, that's the first step in correction. I think about John chapter 8 and, and, and the woman as all the men are standing around with their rocks and they're ready to stone her to death. What does Jesus do in John chapter 8? He went over and did what? Picked her up. She was down, cowering, caught in the net. And He picks her up. And the next thing He does is address the crowd, reminding them that they think they're something that they're not. And what happens to the crowd? They have to disperse. So Jesus says, I'm going to lift you up. I'm not going to keep you down. Jesus didn't even go over and stand next to her over top of her and be like, one day she'll be like me. He picked her up. And so we pick someone up. We don't beat them down. I don't, I don't want to be a part of a legalistic church that, that has some censorous, pharisaical mindset, but that will pick someone up instead of beat them down. Let Rockfish Valley Baptist be that place. So first, up, not down. The next concept we see here comes to us right in verse 2. Hold, not scold. What do I mean by that? Once you've lifted your brother up, we have to hold them up. There's going to be some things that we have to do. And what happens here? This is the next step in correction of sin and in trying to... to, to you know that the, the, the word here for, for uh, 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 restore, when we see restore here? It, it actually means to pop back into socket or to make functional again. So the goal here isn't to break. It's to restore... To full function. 
So verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burdens there, baraz. Now we're gonna, it's important that we understand the difference between this burden and the next burden we're going to see in verse 5. But this, this word here, baraz, it means heavy load. This heavy weight. And the temptation for a heavy load is to stand somebody up put the load back on them, and walk away. And guess what happens when you are bearing a heavy load alone? You drop to the ground again. Then we've got to go back to up, not down. He says here, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's baras, the heavy weight of sin. It speaks about this aggressive, habitual sin, something that is so heavy of a weight, the person thinks they can't come out from underneath of it. So we are to pick them up and then hold them up and not scold them. Not, not constantly remind them of this, of this thing that is going on in their life. What does this involve? This involves prayer, fellowship, and accountability. Now I've said this over and over. You've heard me say this before. The, 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 three, the Lord communicates to us in many ways, but three primary sources of God's communication is prayer, Scripture, and the fellowship of the saints. What's the first thing we do when someone sins? You stop reading your Bible because you think you're too lowly to be involved with it anymore. You think you've messed up too bad, and God does you, 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 you just you, Who am I to read the Bible right now? So you stop reading. You stop praying because God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm just a wicked sinner. And I can't, go to, I can't show my face in church because everybody there is so perfect. I'm going to shine like the dark sinner that I am. So we cut off fellowship. We literally cut communication off. We stop praying, we stop reading, and we stop fellowshipping with the saints. And sometimes if we're not careful, we're ushering that in as a church. You didn't see guilt, trip, ridicule, or shame involved in any of that, right? If you get nothing else from today, uh, be reminded that shame and condemnation are no tool for restoration. Matter of fact, they shouldn't even be in our toolbox at all. They're not even anything that, 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 that is worthy of being in the toolbox of restoration. So those who walk in the Spirit, which means to be obedient to the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit and, 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 and exuding the fruits of the Spirit. That's the spiritual person who should restore this person. The opposite of being spiritual is being fleshly, being carnal. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. People who are divisive, they're self-centered, they're disobedient. So there's really only two possibilities here. That you're either going to respond carnally or you're going to respond spiritually. And Paul says, hey, if you're going to respond carnally, don't. Don't respond at all. But those who are spiritual, those who are operating in the fruits of the Spirit, restore this person. So at any point in our Christian life, either spiritual, whether you're, whether you're responding spiritually or carnally, and we do that, we're, 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 we're all, we all, there are all times in our lives. I have spent 15 more years 
helping people in, in a ministry capacity, and I have used shame and intimidation and, 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 and condemnation as tools for restoration. And I should not have. And so I, I have to be willing to admit that. That I recognize that those tools were not effective in the ultimate goal. I also had to check myself and realize that, that my goal here wasn't the preservation of the reputation of my church, but it was the, the restoration of the functioning of a body part to the body of Christ. And so I wasn't, I wasn't out to improve the reputation. I was out to restore a brother or sister. And if my mindset wasn't right, then the tools I use would not match. So we have to be sure that we hold them and not scold them. It is not our job to convict people of sin. That is the Holy Spirit's job. It is the Holy Spirit's job to, it is our job to point them back to the Word, to be in prayer, and to be in the fellowship of the saints so that the Holy Spirit can speak to them and convict them of the sin that's in their life. But it is not our job to actually convict them of their sin. So how is this going to be useful in the home? How can I lead my wife if I'm not responding in the Spirit? How can I lead my family if I'm not responding in the Spirit? There's this wonderful little passage that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica dealing with the same issues. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12-15. through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. So the hold part is this biblical part. The scold part is repaying evil with evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now how are we going to do that unless we have our own life in check? We have to check our own intentions. So if you know someone who is stumbling, it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility. If you find another believer tangled in the net, it is not your job to walk by that net and say, boy, they're not swimming very well. It is your job to stop and draw your knife and cut them out of that net. But if your purpose for that and here we're going to see that word, catartizo. That word restore means to mend or repair, to put back into socket for full function. So if our, if our goal of getting someone out of sin is only to preserve a particular reputation, that is as sinful as them and you are caught in the same net. That cartatezo, that means I want you fully functioning again. 
And I'm going to do everything. I'm going to use every tool in my toolbox to help you get back to that. So I'm going to lift you up, not down, and I'm going to hold you up, and I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to scold you and, and rebuke you constantly. There have been so many people over the years that I did not speak life into. Now, I'm happy to say I think there are more than that that I have spoken life to. But shame and condemnation, they, they never work. Because they're not tools of restoration. They're not, they, you, don't, you don't put something back into socket with shame and condemnation. So we pick up our brother and we hold up our brother. We don't scold them and, and constantly remind them of their failures. Verse 2 says, when you do that, when you do it that way, with that intention, with that approach, you fulfill the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples and you have love one for another. It's Galatians 5.14. If you back up just a little bit more in Galatians. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now we have a world that distorts that word love and says, if you love me, you will agree with everything I do. So it contrasts a culture that we find ourselves in as a church. So then when the church does rebuke sin, we're unloving. But we can rebuke sin in an unloving way when we have the wrong intention. And so the law of Christ is fulfilled in one word. We love one another. And you can't love someone if you don't correct them when they're not doing right. And Paul simply identifies here the fact that one of the chief reasons that we don't stop and we don't pick somebody up, look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He nails it right on the head. One of the reasons that we maybe overlook some sins or we, 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 we just pass by, much like the Samaritan on the road, is because we think we're something that we're not. And we are absolutely deceiving ourselves. Friends, we may be more educated than someone else. We may be more polished. We may, But we are no better than any other person except for the righteousness of Christ except for the blood applied righteousness of God verse 4 but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor this is an odd statement because the very next thing he really throws us for a loop what he means when he says that he can boast in regard to himself alone. What he's saying is, I need to check myself and make sure that my intention on correcting this sin is pure and it's right. And it's not about my neighbor. It's not about their reputation. It's not about my reputation. It's about restoring someone to the body of Christ. This is true correction of sin. Then, you can really boast that the Lord can use you. That's what he means. He's saying, 
I can boast in myself because I know that God is getting ready to use me to restore my brother or sister in Christ. You have to take a look at your own life. You have to take a look at your own self before we can approach correcting the sin of another believer. Then he confuses us in verse 5. It's a little bit of a confusion, but it's actually not. It's actually very clear. There's actually no confusion if you read it in the Greek. But it's very confusing when you read it in English. He says, for each will have to bear his own load. Well, wait a minute. In verse 2, he just said, we need to bear one another's burdens. And now, he's telling us, we've got to bear your own load. What, what, what is it? Which one is it? Well, it would be confusing if they were the same exact word, and they're not. The word's different. In verse 2, we said it was baraz in verse 2. Heavy weight. Over, overpowering weight. But this word is fortiton. It means the faults of the conscience that affect the soul. Mm, that's deep. The general issues of life. The responsibilities given to someone. It doesn't mean an overpowering. It doesn't mean an overpowering weight. The culture has said these responsibilities are heavy burdens. But the only burden biblically is the burden of sin. Sin is a heavy weight. Actual responsibilities are not a heavy weight. That's why work was pre-fall. Adam was given the responsibility of tending the garden before the fall. Those were good, pure responsibilities. They were perfect so these responsibilities are actually not a weight. That's why this word here is so important to us. Because what he's saying here is you have to be responsible for the responsibilities given to you. You have to carry your own responsibility. And one of those responsibilities that we carry as believers is the responsibility of admonishing one another and rebuking one another and correcting one another. So we need to examine our own hearts. These three verses here are very much about the person who's getting ready to do the correction, not the person who's being corrected. We need to examine our hearts. Is there anything about us that we need to check first? We need to check our attitude. We need to check our intention. And then we need to carry this responsibility that God has given us and fulfill the responsibility given to us. I think he's referring to the very thing that he's just instructed us to do, and that's to pick up and hold up a sinning believer. Now stay with me. We're going to fly through the end. We then see, as we enter into verse 6, we see this concept of build, not bury. Now this is where discipleship really comes in. This is, the, this is the front porch of discipleship. Lift them up, hold them up, and build them up. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. This speaks to authenticity. You see, if we don't get the first two right, if we, don't, if we beat them down and we don't lift them up, 
We don't even have the opportunity to hold them up and not scold them. And now we get to this spot where we build them and we don't bury them. This is true discipleship. This is the mutual sharing of divine truth. Giving input. Nurturing. Even correcting thoughts. I've, I, I, I've discipled people that, that spoke to me and told me that they, they were in this spot because God was punishing them for something they had done before. I had to correct their theology in there. I had to nurture them. To encourage them that that is not the God. That is not who God is. You're referring to the God of this world. You're not referring to the God of Abraham and Jacob. So I build them up and I don't bury them in some unrealistic weight of a a checklist of things you must do in order for you to prove to me that you're improving. We bury somebody in this list of expectations. I helped a friend overcome a struggle. He was struggling, and kids, cover your ears, he was struggling with the sin of pornography. He was caught and entangled in it. I think it goes back to that question, am I my brother's keeper? It's his private life. Do I have any business in his private life? Well, he's a fellow brother in Christ, so yes, I do have everything to do with his private life. It's not about bringing shame to the church. It's not about embarrassing me as a discipler. It's not about that. It's about cutting him out of the entanglement that he's in. And he was nervous as a cat by a pool the first time we met after he had sort of confessed this to me. And his his past experience with this, one of the reasons he was still struggling with this sin is because he was beaten to the floor by everyone he ever approached with this sin. They didn't even follow step one. They beat him down instead of lifting him up. Or maybe somebody would lift him up and say, I want to encourage you. But they wouldn't hold him up. They scolded him and used shame and intimidation. And they never even got to the spot where they could build him up because they were burying him in this weight. Now let me reiterate here. God's expectations for us are not unreasonable. The unreasonable expectations I'm speaking about right now are when we interject our flesh into a spiritual correction. And we create some unreasonable expectation. So I said to this brother, here's what I want you to do. I want you... Next week, we're going to meet again at the same time in this same place, and I want you to write down the number of times you view. He was like, huh? I said, I, I want you to write down the number of times you view. And I want you to pay attention to the things that are causing you to do it. What are the emotions that you're feeling when you do this? And why isn't Jesus good enough to be the answer to those emotions? So I want you to write these things down. Multiple months later, he was at zero views. And to my knowledge to this day, he continues to be so, and now disciples other men snagged in the same net. We built him up. We did not bury him in an unreasonable expectation and then caused him to sin even more. You better have zero views by next Friday. Well, now he's going to come and he's going to become a liar. 
So now I'm encouraging to sin. I'm encouraging to hide the current sin we're trying to help him with and create a new net to entangle him in. So we have to be sure that we build people up and not bury them in unreasonable expectations. And this is important as a church that we don't have some cookie cutter response to every sin. So each week, the views reduced. And each week, I would say, I want you to be as disgusted with your sin as God is. I want you to see that you're replacing God with another God. And that's how we build someone up. It's not, it's not, good, I, I'm not, it's not good enough that, that I'm disgusted with your sin. I want you to understand that you're replacing God. You're experiencing emotions that are causing you to do this sin. And this sin has entangled you and ensnared you. And you think that this is the way that you can react to your anger, your disappointment, your issues with your dad, your issues with your wife. You're replacing God who wants to speak into those things with something that is entangling you. I want you to see that. It's no good for me to just say, you better not view this week. Then Paul says in verse 7 through 10. So we're going to pick them up and not beat them down. We're going to hold them up and not scold them the entire time. We're going to build them up and not bury them in a list of unreasonable and quite often fleshly expectations. And then lastly, we're going to keep it up. Paul says in verse 7 through 10, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Now, I, I, I do view this as a little bit of a warning. He gives us a warning and a well wishing, all in the same three verses here. He sort of says to us, hey, if you're responding to people's sin in the flesh, guess how they're going to respond to yours? Guess when you're the one that's entangled in the net, the knife is going to be to gut you, not to free you. So if you're going to sow in the flesh, you're going to reap in the flesh. But then he says, so it's a little bit of a warning. Then he says, but, the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we do, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Now as I end, I want to remind us of a couple things. This admonishment is for believers. It does not do us any good as believers to go out and beat a lost world. They're, they're performing their duties with excellence because they're dark and they're lost and they cannot see the light. And for us to take these same methods and try and beat a lost person into submission is doing nothing but pushing them deeper into the hole of darkness. 
When Paul says, keep it up, Paul closes and he says, he has this warning and this well-wishing. And he's basically again readdressing the person who is, who is admonishing the sin. If you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap in the flesh. It's just a reminder of what I just said. Hey, if you stack this expectation on this person in the flesh, you're now going to cause them to sin in other ways. So let us not cause someone to sin more, but let us encourage them that we want them to be fully functioning members of the body. And that doesn't mean that we say, oh, well, you're always going to have to wear a sling. Nope. The word actually means put back into socket for full function. That means that they, they come back into the body and they function fully. Just as my brother who is now functioning fully as someone who is helping others entangled in the same sin. So if we're walking by the Spirit and we're examining ourselves and we're seeking the support of brethren, we're constantly checking ourselves. Oftentimes I've seen, I've seen people take this whole section of, of, and call, call to arms the sin police. We must be on the hunt for this. What Paul is actually saying is you need to be on the watch for yourself. Sin will naturally happen. You need to watch it in your own life so that we can spiritually, in a spirit of love, restore our brothers. And So like I said, this is, this is a round trip ticket, right? We've been talking mostly about the restoration of believers. Parents, this is this is the same concept we can use in correcting our children. The reward is eternal. Take care of your community? Yes. Be kind to others? Yes. Get crapped on? Yes. Be taken advantage of? Mistreated? Misspoken about? Yes. Why? Because if we do not faint in well-doing, we will reap an eternal reward if we don't faint. So Rockfish Valley Baptist Church, let us be a church that loves one another so well and so authentically that the Nellie's Ford area wants to be a part of this. Just as we saw in John chapter 13, that they will know that you have love one for another. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word. Thank You for landing the plane back so that Pastor Justin can now pick up next week and talk to us about our employer relationships and the, the, the relationship between master and bondservant. Lord, I pray that as we approach this subject, Perhaps maybe there's someone in here whose heart has been broken because they have been confronted and they have been confronted in the flesh and not in the Spirit. And perhaps, Father, they're still entangled in that net in this hopeless state. I pray that they would then reach out. That they would receive the proper correction. That they would be held up. Lifted up. Built up. Someone would keep running alongside of them and encouraging them. So Father, I, I pray maybe that 
Some of us have been correcting with the wrong intentions. We have had the the wrong spirit behind our desire to correct. We've even maybe even justified our sin a bit in saying tough love is still love. While that statement is true, Lord, may You correct the desire of our heart that it would reflect Yours in the correction of Your children. And Father, I pray for us as a church body that we would function together in such a way, love one another in such a way that people would see the love we have for one another and they would begin to step closer and closer into joining our family. Not just our family here at Rockfish, but our family of the Big C Church. That they would step one step closer to joining the family of God. Answering the call. And it's in Your Son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.